there's this contrast in the Bible between light and darkness throughout the Bible. And, and we know that God, when he shows up in the Bible, he always shows up as blazing, blinding light. God's grace is saying to you, you're not what you've done. You're not uh, to identify with your past. That's not your identity. You're not what you've done. You're not what others say. You're what Jesus says about you. When Jesus becomes the light of your world, it changes everything. Jesus brings hope and light to every situation. If we'll step out of darkness into the light, because light always defeats defeats darkness. Listen, there isn't enough darkness to put out the smallest amount of light. The light of the world wants to be the light of your world. The law, yes, reveals our guilt, but the love of Jesus reveals God's grace, and the light gives hope to all of us. Morning, Orchard Church. Take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to John chapter 11, verse 25. John chapter 11, verse 25. When you came in this morning, you should have received your elements for communion. Uh, we'll be partaking in communion together as a church at the end of the service. So you can kind of hang on to those and get those ready uh, for the end. Uh, next weekend, believe it or not, is Easter weekend here at Orchard Church and around the world. Are you guys excited about Easter weekend? Man, it's going to be awesome. We have five services this year, two on Saturday, our three normal ones on Sunday. We're expecting around 3,000 people to be a part of Orchard Church on Easter weekend and five, six hundred kids. So we need a lot of help. Thank you to all of you who have signed up the last couple of weeks to help serve on Easter weekend. It's not too late. Uh, we can still use some extra help. So if you want to just help us, even just, just a second, give you one weekend. This is the weekend we need your help. On your connection card, give us uh, your best contact information and just check the box that says willing to serve and just write Easter somewhere on that, on that line and someone will contact you this week. Uh, we've got people that are going to be coming and serving during both of the services on Saturday night and then coming to the 8 o'clock service and then serving the other two services. We got people that are uh, going to be, you know, coming Saturday night and serving all day Sunday. We got people that are serving every service but one. So whatever you can help us out with, we would really appreciate that. And one of the greatest ways that you can help us out on Easter weekend, you know where this is going, church. What am I going to ask you to do? Which service am I going to beg you and plead you to come to next Sunday? 8 a.m., okay? It just, I mean, Jesus sacrificed on the cross for us. You can come one time to the 8 a.m. service because we're going to be packed out in the 9:30, 11 with a lot of first-time guests uh, from our community. So if, if we, we want to see our 8 o'clock service filled up. So either if you could either come, and we want you here, okay? Don't just skip. We want you here, but try to come to the 8 a.m. or one of the Saturday night services would really help us out uh, for Easter weekend. But we're super excited what God is going to do. Hope you guys have already been inviting your friends and family members. We got some uh, creative things planned for Easter weekend, some things we've never done before on Easter that you are going to remember and talk about for a long time. We're super excited about Easter. But today we are going to finish our series that we've been doing the last few weeks called I Am Jesus. And we've been looking at the I Am statements of Jesus from the book of John. There's seven of them and we've picked four of them and I've saved one of the best and, and my favorite for last because this is going to prepare us to come for Easter weekend to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior. The first week we saw the statement where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life 
for the sheep. The second week we talked about Jesus said, I am the vine and we're the branches. And if we abide in him and he abides in us, we'll bear much what, church? Fruit. We'll bear much fruit. But without him, we can do nothing. And last week we talked about Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me, Jesus said, will never have to walk in darkness. So you're thankful for that, Orchard Church, that when we know Jesus, the light of the world, we don't have to live and walk in darkness. And then today, one of my favorites, John chapter 11, verse 25. Let's just read it together. Jesus said to her, let's say it nice and loud together, church. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I don't want to just take for granted that all of you have been in church your whole life and you know what a resurrection is. A resurrection is simply where someone or something dies and it comes back to life. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen a resurrection. I've never seen one firsthand, but one of my children tried to get me to perform a resurrection one time. True story. My, uh, my son, when he was about five, six years old, something like that, um, I was in student ministry, and we had this student ministry event where we invited a, a bunch of students for a Fear Factor youth event. Remember the show Fear Factor? He did all those weird and gross things. So we thought, well, that would be fun to do with teenagers, middle school and high schoolers. And so we bought a bunch of worms they had to eat, and you know, we, we bought like beetles that had to crawl on it, and we bought these geckos. And we actually had kids come on the stage that were participating, middle school and high schoolers. We had like 500 students at this event, and, and we put their head in this plexiglass see-through box and we dropped like 12 geckos in and for like a minute they just crawled all over them and that's what they had to do well after the event was over we were like what are we going to do with all these geckos and so we actually gave a bunch of them out to the students that they wanted them and my my son begged me for a gecko dad can i please have one of the geckos i want now I'll just tell you this about the dameron house we do not do well with small reptiles and fish they do not last long in our house. I don't know what the deal is, but they, they die quickly. We've done well with dogs. We never even tried cats, okay? And so, so we were like, okay, we, we, we got the gecko. We got him in a little cage, and he, and he had to name the gecko. He named the, the gecko Sting. He called it Sting. I don't know why he called it Sting, but that's what he called it. And he loved to play with the gecko and crawl on him and all this. And it wasn't very long. I mean, I think, I think it was just a few weeks that uh, we, we woke up one morning and we looked in uh, to the, the aquarium there where the gecko Sting was at. And Sting was a crispy critter. And he was just, just, just dry. He was like, you know, I mean, it just gone. He had died in the middle of the night. Well, Caleb realizes this and he is freaking out and he is crying. And he's like, Dad, you know, will you pray for Sting? Can you do anything for Sting? I was like, why are you praying for him? And then he's like, can you raise him from the dead? Bring him back to life. And I'm like... I can't do that, Caleb. But you know what? This morning we're going to talk about someone who can, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And we, we've probably heard that statement, many of us, before. But as we've seen with all these, these statements, when you understand the context in the Scripture, the story leading up to this statement, it just broadens the statement, brings more depth and meaning to this powerful statement where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And it follows a pretty famous story in the Bible about a man who was resurrected from the dead, and his name was Lazarus. And so I, I want us to go back to John chapter 11, verse 1, and work our way up to this statement where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life around the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, verse 1 
It says, now a certain man was sick. Now, now he didn't just have a cold or the sniffles. He's so sick, he's about to die. And his name was Lazarus of Bethany, the town from the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to him to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Jesus had this very close friendship, loving relationship with Lazarus and with Mary and Martha. And so when Lazarus falls sick and they see that he might not even make it, they send word to Jesus who's in another town and say, Jesus, come quickly and help Lazarus and heal him so he doesn't die. And what we see here is the bad news in the middle of the good life. And probably most of us have been there at one point in our life. We're going through life. Things seem to be going pretty well. And all of a sudden, we get bad news. Someone we love, someone we care about is sick. And, and we don't know if they're even going to make it. Or, or maybe the job that we love is going away. Company's getting bought out. The marriage that we've always dreamed of is now turning into a nightmare. A close friendship that we've enjoyed is beginning to crumble and dissolve and fall apart. Bad news. The principal calls and wants you to come down and meet in his office to talk about your, your student. And it's not because they made the honor roll. Bad news in the middle of the good life. Jesus gets this bad news. You know, it reminds me of something that happened to a family in our church about six weeks ago. On February the 13th, there's a couple that has been attending our church for a little over a year and they have been involved in small group. Her name is uh, Des and Melissa Hunter. And she's about 40 years old. They have three boys. She has two from a previous marriage. He has one. So, so three boys that are in their middle school. Some are a little bit younger than that. And they, they're just getting ready to celebrate their one-year wedding anniversary. And they had purchased a new house. And they were getting ready, ready the very day to move into the new house in our community. And Melissa was at the house and they had some plumbing issues. So they called a plumber over and she was there and she had a massive seizure. She dropped to the ground. She stopped breathing. Her heart stopped beating. The plumber that was there saw this take place. He knew a little bit about CR. He began to do what he could do. They rushed her to the hospital, but she had stopped breathing and and no oxygen or brain or anything for, for several minutes, if not longer. She was immediately in a coma. The doctors said, this, is, this does not look good. Um, we, we've done all we can do. They, they ran all kinds of tests on her. She was you know, in this coma for three weeks. Um, they, they did a test where they give them a rating from zero to 10. Um, about their heart and their brain activity, and she was a zero, zero, zero. And they said, you need to call the friends and the family into town because we don't think she's going to make it. We've done all we can do. What, what, what do you say to a family when they experience something like this? Bad news in the middle of the good life. Verse 4 in this story, it says, when Jesus heard that, that Lazarus is sick, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the, say it church, glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
Jesus says, I, I know you think this sickness is unto death, but it's not. It's so that God will be glorified through the worst news possible and imaginable. Somehow God is going to use this for good and God is going to be glorified. Look, go on in the story, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed how many more days? Two more days. So they send word to Jesus, hoping he'll drop everything and come to their town and heal Lazarus before he dies. But what does he do? He just stays where he's at. He continues ministering for two more days. They're freaking out, and he's just hanging out. He's not leaving. He's just, just staying there for two more days in the place where he was. Verse 7 says, Then after this he said to the disciples, after a couple of days went by, Okay, now let us go to Judea again. This is where Lazarus was. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, to kill you. And are you really going to go there again? You're going to risk your life? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He said, You know, I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I'm going to do what I know I need to do. And these things he said. And after that, he said to them. Now watch this. Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. But the disciples misunderstood what Jesus was saying. Verse 12. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, that's good. He'll get well. They're like, you know, if he's sick and he's sleeping, why would we want to wake him up? Because it's good to sleep and rest when you're not feeling well. But then Jesus expounds on this in verse 13. He says, however, Jesus spoke of his what? His death. It spoke of his, his death when he said he was sleeping. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. They thought he was just taking a nap. And then Jesus said to them plainly, because they couldn't figure it out, Lazarus is what? He's dead, guys. He's not just taking a nap. He's not just resting and trying to get better. He is dead. He's not just mostly dead. He's completely dead, Princess Bride fans. He's not just merely dead, he's sincerely dead, Wizard of Oz fans. He, I mean, he's like, guys, he's dead. And they're like, okay. And look how they respond to this, verse 15. Jesus responds and then he says, and I'm, this is an interesting statement what Jesus says here. This seems unloving and uncaring. Jesus tells them Lazarus is dead and then he says, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. What? Jesus is like, I'm glad we delayed. I'm glad that he is died and that we that I wasn't there to heal him before he died that you may what church believe I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind and is miraculous so that you might believe nevertheless let us go to him and I want us to pause right here for a moment and I want us to look at three characters in this story and how they respond to the death of Lazarus and how they respond to Jesus Lazarus has died and he's in a tomb but there are people in this story, even though they haven't physically died, they're spiritually dying, and they're dying on the inside. And I believe that some of you this morning can relate to these characters in this story, either right now or in the past, or God is preparing you for something maybe coming in your future that you can relate to, how people sometimes die on the inside. The first person, if you're taking notes, is Thomas. 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 Maybe like Thomas, you, are, you find yourself dead sometimes in your doubts. 
You're dead in your doubts. Thomas in the Bible is known as Doubting Thomas. If you've ever heard that, say yes. Doubting Thomas. Because Thomas is the guy that is always negative. He's always sarcastic. He's always cynical. The glass is always, you know, half empty. And so Jesus says, let's go check on Lazarus even though he's died. And look at how Thomas responds in the next verse. Verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Oh, great. Let us also go that we may die with him. You see how sarcastic he is? He's doubting Thomas. They just told Jesus, if we go to this town, they're going to try to kill you, Jesus. And we're your followers and we're your disciples. And they might try to kill us too. And so since Lazarus has died, great idea. Let's all go and just die together. That's what he's saying. He was dead in his doubts. And we've all probably been there. Let me ask you honestly, church, this morning by a show of hands. How many of you have ever had spiritual doubts? Would you raise your hand, raise your hand? Okay, that's most people's hands. If you didn't raise your hand, you know what? You just go ahead and polish your halo for a moment. I'm going to talk to all the other real people <laughs> that have experienced spiritual doubts like you and I have. There's times in our lives where we have things happen in our life that cause spiritual doubts because we're human. We, we've prayed that God would do something. We know He could do something. We believe He should do something, but nothing happens. And we have spiritual doubts. We, we, maybe we grew up in church and we grew up in a Christian home. We got saved at a very young age and we had a very simple faith in the Bible and Jesus. And then we go off to college and we're in our freshman year in our Bib Lit 101 class. And they begin to cause us to question the Bible and question Jesus. And, and we begin to have spiritual doubts. Or, or, or here's where a lot of people fall into spiritual doubts. Something bad happens in their life. Something bad happens in someone else's life that they love and they care about. And, and they think, you know, if God is all powerful, then why doesn't he do something about this? If God is all loving, why did he allow this to happen? And, and they begin to have spiritual doubts. I know people who are not in church today because a church let them down, a pastor let them down, another Christian let them down, and it caused them to have spiritual doubts. And some of you can identify with Thomas today. You're dead in your doubts. And if you can't identify with Thomas in this story and how he responds, maybe you can identify with Mary. And you find yourself sometimes dead in your discouragements. Dead in your discouragements. Look at verse 17 through 20 and how Mary responds. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb. How many days, church? Four days. It's not like he just passed away. He's been in the tomb for four days. And now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. They're grieving over his death. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, he finally shows up. She went and she met him. She runs out to meet him. But watch Mary's response. Mary was sitting in the house. You know why I believe Mary was sitting in the house? Because her attitude was, what's the point now? Lazarus is already dead. He's been dead for four days. What's Jesus going to do now? And she's dead in her discouragements. And she's like, what's the point? And some of you can relate to this. You feel like, what's the point of serving God? What's the point of following God? What's the point of reading God's word? What's the point in having great faith? It seems like I can never catch a break. It seems like Murphy's law. Murphy follows me around every day. Some of you, you, you feel like you're, you're dead in your discouragement. You feel like I'm always going to be down and out. 
I'm always going to be discouraged. I'm always going to be depressed. I, I'm, uh, my marriage is always going to struggle. I'm always going to struggle as a parent in my relationship with my kids. I, I'm always going to have this dead-end job and career, and I'm never going to be able to get ahead. The dream that I've always had is dying, and I'm like Mary. I'm dead in my discouragements. You know, we, uh, you and I, we're all really good at putting on a happy face when we come to church. You know, we greet each other. Hey, good morning. How you doing? You, and no matter what's going on, we're like, oh, I'm doing great. Bless God. Praise Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Good to see you, brother. And there's a lot of people that come into church like that every week, but on the inside, they're very discouraged. And that's some of you this morning. And if we're not doing that at church, we're, we're putting on a good face on a little website called Facebook. And some people are really good at only putting everything wonderful on Facebook. Now, some people put all the negative. But a lot of people, you read their Facebook pages, and it's like they live in this spiritual Disney world. I mean, it's like you, all you see is their highlight reels. And everything is always great. Marriage is great. Kids are great. Everything's great. But many of those people are just trying to mask the fact that they're going through some really dark, difficult times. And on the inside, they're very discouraged, just like Mary. Dead in the discouragements. And if you can't identify with Thomas or Mary, maybe you can identify with Martha in this story. And Martha was dead in a different way. She was dead in the delays. Look at what she, how she responds. Martha, verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, she goes out to meet him, but then she says this, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have what? Died. What is she saying to Jesus? You took too long. We sent word to you, and you dilly-dallied for a couple of days. If you would have come sooner, he wouldn't have died. Now it's too late. You took too long. You delayed. In verse 17, we already, already saw that. How, how many days had Lazarus been in the tomb? Four days at this point he had been in the tomb. Four days. Now, there was kind of a folklore during this time. And a cultural belief. It wasn't a biblical belief or a Christian belief, but it was kind of a folklore. People believed that when someone died, that for three days their spirit would hang around close to the body. But after the fourth day, the spirit was gone and all hope was gone. And so it's kind of like, you know, the spirit's there for about three days is this folklore. And so like if the body became back to life, then, you know, the spirit would jump back in. That's kind of what they believed. And so it's interesting that he had been four days. I mean, he is completely dead. The Bible helps us understand how dead he was. Because in verse 39 of the story, look at verse 39. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there's a stench. Because he's been dead for four days. He's so dead, he stinks. There's a stench. Now, I grew up in church... With the old King James Bible. Anybody else grew up on the old King James? You know, all the thusest and thouest and thisest and thouest and all that stuff. And, and I, I kind of like how the old King James translators translated this. Because they said in the old King James, he stinketh. <laughs> he doesn't just stink, he stinketh. That, that's a holy stink right there. You know, I would say he, he's stinky. But he, he is so dead... That he stinks and, and, and Martha's like, Jesus, if you would have just come sooner, you could have done something about this. 
Why did you delay? You took too long. And some of you can relate. You're, you're dead in the delays of life. I, I meet Christian single girls all the time. They, they want to be married so bad. And they're like, I'm serving God, I'm following Jesus, I'm reading His Word, and I want a godly husband. I see all my other friends are getting married, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. You know, what, when am I going to get married? God, why are you delaying in my life? Yeah, I, I, we have Christian couples, my heart goes out to right here in our own church that have been trying and trying and trying to have a baby. And they just can't seem to get pregnant. And, then, and they watch people in their small group, and it's like there's couples, they just look at each other and they get pregnant. And they're like, what? God, why aren't we getting pregnant? Why are you delaying? We talk to people all the time that a loved one, you know, gets sick, and they're like, God, when are you going to heal them? When are you going to do something? There are many of you that are praying for people to get saved. Family members that you've been praying to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You've been praying for years and years and years. And you say, God, why, why are you delaying? Friends of yours, why are you delaying? Some of you have struggles in your finances and you say, God, when are you going to help us get out of this pit of our finances? And why are you delaying? Can I say this to you, church? And let me encourage you with this. Do not miss this. This is going to breathe life into some of your situations this morning. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials and God may be allowing something in your life right now don't miss this so that he can be glorified later and that's exactly what we're going to see in this story and so so far from verse 1 to 21 this is not a happy story this is a difficult story this is a negative story this is a depressing story I mean Thomas is dead in his doubts Mary is dead in her discouragements. Martha is dead in the delays. And poor Lazarus is just dead, dead. And he's been dead for four days and he stinketh. This is not good. But then the next verse, 21, everything changes. And it's one of my favorite words in the Bible. Verse 22 starts with the word, but. But hang on. There's more to this story, but now watch this in verse 21. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Everybody say, even now. Amen. But even now, even as bad as it's been from verse 1 through 21, and Thomas has his doubts, and Mary has her discouragements, and Martha has her delays, and Lazarus has been dead for four days. But even now, God, I know, Jesus, you can do anything. And listen, this morning, some of you need an even now moment with God. But even now, you're stuck in verses 1 through 21, and you just got to get to verse 22. And believe that even now, we have a God that can do miracles. That we have a God that can do miraculous things in your life, and that with God, all things are possible. But even now, 
in my doubts and my discouragements and delays, I know that when the resurrection and the life steps in, everything can change. Even now. When we receive that news about the tragic circumstances surrounding Melissa and Des, our care pastor and his wife, Dr. Randall, their small group, myself, Gary, others from our church, we've been, we begin to pray for Melissa. And we went up to the hospital, and, and she had been in a coma for about three weeks. And the doctors said, we have done all we can do. There's, there's no hope. Nurses begin to cry and say, I'm sorry for your loss. And Des had to make one of the most difficult decisions he's ever made. And some of you have had to make this. To begin to take her off of the medication. To take her off of the respirator. And, and I remember having the conversation with Des about this difficult decision. And, and I said, Des, you are not taking her life. Because you and I don't give life. Her life is in God's hands. He made her. He created her. He, he started her heartbeat. And he knows when her heartbeat will end. And all you're doing, if you take her off all this, because the doctors had said, there's nothing else we can do. I said, you are simply graciously putting her life in God's hands. And then it's up to God. And when all hope seemed to be lost, we prayed and we laid hands on Melissa. And we said, God, even now... When the doctors have said, call on the family, we're sorry for your loss, even now, we know if you choose, you can do a miracle. And they begin to take Melissa off of her medication, off of the breathing machine and the respirator. And Des began to notice that it seemed that she was turning her head and responding to his voice. And he, of course, got his hopes up and he told the nurses about that and the nurses said, I'm sorry, we see this all the time. It's just the body, you know, as she's passing, just kind of reacting. There's nothing to it. He goes, can I just show you? And so he brought the nurse in the room and he, and he showed the nurse. And she, he spoke on one side of, her, of the bed to her and she kind of turned her head. And she goes, go to the other side. He went to the other side of her bed and he spoke to Melissa and she turned her head. And she said, huh, let me make a phone call. And she called the head um, doctor that was, was, was working you know, with the brain, who had done the test that said she is a zero, zero, zero. Even if she makes it, she'll never speak again. She'll never walk again. She'll never, she'll never, she, he said she might open an eye involuntarily after a year. They called him in we continue to pray, even now, God, we know you could do a miracle. They called him in, and he was examining her at the bedside. And he said, you know, I, I just don't see enough here to convince me that there's anything of significance to these reactions. He said, I'm sorry to tell you this. He said, I would, I would have to see something miraculous to believe that something is really going on. And, there, and he's standing at Melissa's bedside as he's saying this with Des and some of the family. And as he said that, they said, she raised up her head from her pillow and all she could do was mouth the words, I'm here. And the doctor said, well, that's miraculous. <laughs> and they begin to take her off the machines 
and take her off her medication. She began to breathe on her own. She began to eat on her own. She began to speak on her own. And the doctor said, I don't usually use this word, but this is a miracle. And I want to show you, this is a picture that was taken with me and Des and Melissa about a week and a half ago. Uh, she still had the trach. All they were doing was giving her basic oxygen. She was breathing on her own, responding on her own. When I walked in the room, she, she knew who I was. And uh, this picture was sent to me last night. This is Des and Melissa and the three boys. And she has been healed. Amen. Amazing, miraculous, life-changing story. There's no other way to describe it other than the resurrection and the life wanted to prove his glory through this situation. And some of you need an even now moment in your life. You, you need an even now moment in the midst of your marriage that you think we've lost all hope. Even now, God can do something miraculous. Some of you need an even now moment in your relationship with your kids. Some of you need an even now moment with your finances or your health or, or your loneliness. You, you need an even now moment with your mistakes that you've made in the past. That even now that God can step into your life and he can change your life 180 degrees. Some of you need an even now moment that you feel far from God right now. But the Bible says if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And that you could cry out to the resurrection of life and say, even now. I believe that when something that is dead, when the resurrection power of Christ steps in, he can bring life to any situation. Do you believe that, church? He can. Now, it doesn't mean that he's always going to heal people miraculously. It doesn't mean that he's going to remove all the bad circumstances. Because sometimes the resurrection power is not something that happens on the outside. It's something that happens on the inside. He does something in our heart. He does something in our mind. He does something in our attitude. He does something in our faith. And that's exactly what happens in this story in verse 23 after Martha says, But even now I know whatever you ask, God will give it to you. Even now I know you can do the miraculous. And Jesus said to her in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, Well, I know that. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She was talking about a different resurrection. You know, the rapture, the second coming. And Jesus said to her, oh, no, no, don't miss this, Martha. Don't miss this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? He didn't say, I, I perform the resurrection and life. He said, I am the resurrection and life. This, see, resurrection is not just something Jesus does. It's who he is. You have this in your notes, church. Don't miss this as we prepare for Easter weekend and we come to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior. The resurrection is not an event. It is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the resurrection and the life. And then as we jump to the end of this story, look at what he does in verse 43. I love this. Now when he had said these things, I am the resurrection and life, he cried out with a loud voice to this tomb, Lazarus, come forth. 
Now, I believe one of the reasons he said Lazarus come forth is because in that culture, they would have many people buried in the same tomb. And if he didn't have said come forth, there would have been a bunch of guys hopping out of there. <laughs> and he, was, he made this very personal. He was there to raise Lazarus. That's how powerful the resurrection life is. So he says, Lazarus, just that guy, come forth. And when he had, and, and then he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. He's like a mummy. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. And as powerful as this story is, I, I think this is one of the most comical scenes if you would have been there, because the only way that Lazarus could have come out was like this. <laughs> I mean, that's how he had to have come out. And that's why Jesus says, okay, he's alive, guys. Take the grave clothes off of him. He has been risen from the dead because I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even though he may die, he will live. And some of you today, you feel trapped in a tomb of doubts and discouragements and delays. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you that he said to Lazarus. Come forth. Come out. God wants to loose you. He wants to let you go. He wants to set you free. Even now in the midst of those things, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can do miraculous things in all of our lives, church. In just a moment, we're going to partake of communion together. We're going to remember the body of Jesus that was crucified for our sins. We're going to remember the blood that was shed to pay for our sins. But that's not the end of the story, church. Because as we come next weekend, we're not celebrating a dead corpse. We're celebrating the fact that the tomb is rolled away, or the, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is in, empty, and Jesus is alive. And today we remember the sacrifice that He made. And some of you, you need that even now moment this morning with the one that said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And even now, when you feel dead in your doubts and your discouragements and your delays, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can overcome. And the only question is this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Father, we thank you this morning for the power of the resurrection, the reminder that it's not just something Jesus has done, but it's who he is. And that we can tap into that same resurrection power in our lives today to breathe new life into our doubts and our discouragements and our delays. And with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, no one looking around for just a moment. If you're here this morning, you say, God has spoken to me through his word this morning. I'm struggling with some doubts right now. I'm struggling with some discouragements right now. I'm struggling with some delays right now that God why aren't you doing something about this sooner and you would just simply say in faith this morning Pastor Doug would you pray for me that I would have an even now moment with God that even now I would believe that God can do anything and he can do it in my life if that's you this morning would you slip up your hand for prayer all across this auditorium God bless you thank you thank you God bless you hands everywhere let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those this morning that are trapped in a tomb of doubts, discouragements, and delays. And that even now, that they would experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That they would believe Him, that they would trust Him. And that they would 
their faith would be built and they would be challenged and they would be encouraged that you still work miracles. You may not always work a miracle on the outside, but you can work a miracle on the inside with our heart, with our life, with our attitude. You can give us your grace that is sufficient for whatever challenge we face. And Lord, when you show up as the resurrection of life, we give you all the glory and the honor. Help us to recognize that maybe some of the things that we're dealing with right now that are so difficult, you're allowing for your glory and for our good and for our faith to be built. Encourage everyone this morning with the power of your resurrection. As we continue in prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment, we're going to partake in communion together. This is for believers in Jesus Christ. That's who it's for. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not taking communion. You're just having a snack. It doesn't mean anything. But for those of us that have put our faith in Christ, this represents the, the body in the bread and the blood in the cup that Jesus shed to pay for our sins. And, and you have one of two choices this morning as we prepare for communion. If you're not a believer, we would respectfully ask that you not take communion because it's meaningless to you. Or better yet, why not receive Jesus Christ and his sacrifice right now in this place and then take your very first communion with us together. Right after accepting what Jesus did on the cross for you. If that's you this morning, you've never received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and you'd say, you know what? I'm ready to receive Jesus. I'm ready to be forgiven of my sins. I'm ready to have eternal life. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to give you an opportunity to call on Jesus right now as Lord and Savior. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray from your heart to God's. It's not a magic prayer. They're not magic words. But if you put faith and belief behind it, you can receive the resurrection power of Jesus right now in your life. If that's you this morning, would you pray this prayer with me and mean it from your heart to God's right now? Right where you sit, it goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were buried and you rose again. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and saving me. Thank you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith to invite Jesus into your life for the first time, I, I'd love the honor and privilege just to pray for you that you would grow from this day forward in your new relationship with Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand all across this auditorium if you prayed that? God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Just put it up nice and high so I can see it. God bless you. God bless you, young person. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several people. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today as Lord and Savior. And now they get to partake in communion with us right after making of this life-changing decision. And, and they get to recognize, and we all get to recognize, your body and blood that was shed and was given to pay for our sins. And we're reminded that we're not just celebrating your death, but we're preparing for your return. And we're preparing for Easter as we celebrate the resurrection and the life. We continue in an attitude of prayer and we prepare for communion. If you haven't prepared your elements, you can do that at this time. As in an attitude of prayer, the, the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that no one should come to the communion table without being spiritually prepared. And I want to just give you a moment. I'm going to give you a moment of silence. 
And then I'll read scripture and we'll partake of the elements together. The bread representing Jesus' body and the cup representing his blood. So right now, whatever you need to confess, whatever you need to make right with the Lord, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I want to give you a moment of silence to do that. And then we'll partake of communion together as I read the scriptures. Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 Paul said for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate the resurrection of life this morning, Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. If you made a decision for Christ this morning, please let us know about that on your connection card and drop it in the offering bucket so we can continue to pray for you. If you're a first-time guest this morning at Orchard Church, uh, hopefully you fill out your guest connection card. You can drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by so we can send you a little thank you note and a gift in the mail. First-time guests, we're not interested in your money today. We're definitely interested in you. I hope you guys are as excited about next Easter weekend as all of us are here at Orchard Church. Please be inviting your friends, your neighbors. We're going to see God do incredible life-changing things on Easter weekend. Let's stand, let's close in a song of worship as we sing about the resurrection life. God bless you guys.